0: Somehow, the 2020 Chicago White Sox underachieved despite reaching the postseason for the first time in 12 years. When they crashed out of the playoffs, the team's front office made its manager, Rick Renteria, the fall guy and fired him less than two weeks after their season-ending Game 3 loss in the first round to Oakland. Three weeks into the COVID-shortened season, the White Sox were 10-11. and but in an August 15th win over St. Louis, Juan Moncada, Yasmani Grandal, American League MVP Jose Abreu, and Aloy Jimenez tied a major league record by hitting four consecutive home runs. They went on to win 21 of their next 26 games and led the second place Minnesota Twins in the AL Central by three games, which is 12 to go. Suddenly, the White Sox were on their way to a number one seed in the American League playoffs and a World Series contender in one of the strangest, most difficult to navigate years in sports seasons in America history, with a young, electric, and likable 40-man squad that included 13 players born outside the United States, playing for a manager with whom they shared much in common. Renneria was born in California, but his parents are from Mexico, and his fluency in Spanish and a non-American culture allowed him to easily communicate with those players. What he couldn't do was avoid a late-season collapse. After losing nine of their last 12 games, the seventh-seeded Sox limped across the country to play Oakland. As 670, the score afternoon host Danny Parkins said, there would be quite a bit on the line.
1: I wonder how far they'd have to go this year for me to feel very confident that he's back. Because I think he could win a playoff series, and I still would question it. This team is so talented. You don't want to have the question mark be your manager once the game actually goes off if i had to bet on it i'd bet on him not managing
0: this was somehow the worst kept secret in the city of chicago the renteria would most likely lose his job despite ultimately finishing second in voting for al manager of the year listen to what parkins said He thought Renteria could win a playoff series, which the Sox haven't done since 2005, and he'd still be gone at season's end, done in by some questionable managerial decisions during his tenure. They had been called out by Chicago-area sportscasters and media, and their importance magnified and exacerbated during a three-game playoff series. The series could be summed up in one game three play. Designated hitter Aloy Jimenez aggravated his sprained right foot running out a double. And as he hobbled back to the dugout, the White Sox hopes for winning the series vanished in a puff of smoke. But those on the field saw positive things ahead. It was just the
2: start of something. I think it was a good for us to get in. The guys got a taste of it. and uh, I think it's just going to make them more hungry to, uh, you know, to get back there.
0: know it's just tough one to swallow but we got to keep going you know it's just the start of something that you know that could be great even though shortstop tim anderson one of the game's few black stars voiced his optimism for the 2021 season the white sox fired renteria citing a quote-unquote mutual parting of ways for the second time in his managerial career Renteria had been shoved out the door by a team entering its championship contention window so rightly or wrongly Renteria was gone General Manager Rick Hahn publicly called the managerial search an opportunity for the team to break away from its recent history of what he referred to as insular hires, to go outside the organization and find someone with recent championship experience. They did neither. Instead, they opted for a Hall of Famer objectively Major League Baseball's greatest current living manager. In 33 years, Tony La Russa managed his teams, the White Sox, Oakland A's, and St. Louis Cardinals, to 14 playoff appearances, 6 pennants, and 3 World Series championships. He was manager of the year four times, is one of just two managers in MLB history to have managed more than 5,000 games, and needs just 36 wins to move into second place on baseball's all-time career list. Sounds pretty good, right? Mm. On this episode of Wrecking the Toy Department, where we won't just stick to sports because we don't have the privilege of doing so, we're going to take a look at why Tony La Russa is a terrible hire, and why, despite no matter how much the team's fans may hate this decision, team owner Jerry Reinsdorf will not undo it. This has nothing to do with La Russa's baseball acumen or the fact that by the time the 2021 season starts, it will have been nearly a full decade since he was last in his team's dugout as its manager. It's in part because La has continually stood in direct opposition to the type of player activism and fun, swaggering on-field style embodied by the 2020 White Sox. On July 25th, about two months after the killing of George Floyd by Minneapolis police, thousands of people continued pouring into public squares to demand racial justice. This sound, courtesy of the Washington Post, is from Portland, Oregon, where the U.S. government sent federal agents to confront protesters.
3: These are our streets. People need to hear how we feel. People should feel everything I feel every single day that I've dealt with in my whole life. Can we
4: do something tomorrow that really matters to black people? Can we?
0: That same day, Tim Anderson told reporters why he had knelt during the national anthem just hours earlier. Quote, I tried not to shed too many tears because we were going through something where the world needs to change. But you know, it speaks a lot of the guys that were right there in my corner. I'm the only black guy, so it was only right that I had to show my love, I had to support." End quote. Anderson told reporters that Jose Abreu approached him before the game to tell him he was in his corner. Abreu, along with fellow teammates Edwin Encarnacion, Lucas Giolito, Aloy Jimenez, and Luis Robert, also took a knee during the anthem. So did coaches Joe McEwing and Daryl Boston. Rick Renteria took a knee before the anthem, and during its singing, both he and third baseman Joan Moncada put a hand on Anderson's shoulders. It was a multicultural, multilingual, and multi-generational show of support for Anderson, who told reporters this showed that, quote, we are all brothers and we all love each other, end quote. It would be nearly impossible to imagine that sort of scene taking place, with LaRussa as the team's manager, particularly after hearing what he told ESPN Radio's Dan Lebitard in 2016 about Colin Kaepernick's protest to draw attention to racial injustice and police brutality.
2: The Kaepernick thing. I would not allow it on my team because I think respect for this country, the flag, I know what the, the Constitution says, but I also know you have some rights as an organization. I really distrust Kaepernick's sincerity. I was there in the Bay Area when he first was a star, a real star. I never once saw him do anything but promote himself, and all of a sudden now he's a second stringer and, and he's got this mission on and I, I just don't trust his sincerity. And even if he was sincere, There's ways to express your belief in some of the issues that that face blacks around this country without disrespecting the country you live in or the flag that it represents. Absolutely would not allow
0: it. Around that same time, then-Baltimore Orioles outfielder Adam Jones was asked, in light of Kaepernick speaking out, why baseball players weren't protesting. We already have two strikes against us, he told USA Today, so you might as well not kick yourself out of the game. In football, you can't kick them out. You need those players. In baseball, they don't need us. Baseball is a white man's sport. This is what Larissa told Levitard regarding Jones's comments. Quote, when he says it's a white, like elitist kind of sport, I mean, how much wronger can he be? End quote. When the subject came up again this past February in an interview with Graham Benzinger, LaRusso's answer was much the same.
2: I was so upset when they, when they kneel down the NFL because... It's not that you have don't have something that you dislike. There's a different way to protest it. When you kneel down, you disrespect the flag, the country, and the anthem. And there, are men are, men and women are fighting and dying for that. You know, just it's the wrong way to protest. So what I've learned, and I've had this eternal debt which has led to and vets can't do enough for them i still read as much about the military as i can
0: it's my opinion at this point that for a person to say such things especially in 2020 they have to intentionally not understand why people have been out protesting racial inequality in this country for so long whether it's sticking their head in the ground like an ostrich or going all in on all lives matter and reverse racism black lives matter is not a statement that other people's lives don't matter they do But for the 400 plus years since the first slaves were brought over from Africa to Donald Trump's ongoing efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election in states he lost in part because of large turnout by black voters, it's become glaringly obvious that a significant portion of America, and particularly the person in the Oval Office, thinks of and treats black lives and voices like they matter a lot less than those of whites. And at the same time he happily sows racial division, Trump tries to defend himself with lines like this from his final campaign debate with current president-elect Joe Biden, a debate moderated by NBC's Kristen Welker, whose mother is black. I am the least racist person in this room. This is utter bull, and Trump knows it. Unfortunately, it's a road Tony LaRusso went down during his introductory press conference with the White Sox when asked about his previous comments on player activism and protests.
2: There's not a racist bone in my body. I do not like injustice. Uh, and I would support exactly what I mentioned. Anything that's peacefully, peacefully done and sincerely thought of, and especially with an action at the end of it. Will not be a problem.
1: There's not a racist bone in my body is on every racist person bingo. I don't know Tony LaRussa's heart by any means, but every racist person I've ever had an interaction with has always said there's not a racist bone in my body. When
0: LaRussa said he didn't have a racist bone in his body, I cringed. I could foresee the comments coming from score guest host Carrington Harrison saying that phrase is on the racist bingo card. It takes a distinct lack of introspection for LaRussa to claim he doesn't have a racist bone in his body, especially given his past comments on race. This is the same person who said in that same press conference that he would be fine with players celebrating on field and protesting and taking other activist actions off it if he deemed them to be quote unquote sincere. Asked by a reporter what gives him the privilege to judge his player's sincerity, this is what Larusa had to say.
2: I evaluate players' commitment to our team, and based on watching them closely, you can detect the sincerity and when they say yeah I'm I'm all in for helping the team and then you look around and you see that they're not all in I think it would, you you look at actions you know words words are words and I would look at actions
0: hmm sincerity might be a tough word for Tony Larissa the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition of the word is quote honesty of mind and freedom of hypocrisy That is not a good look for someone whose own sincerity is in doubt, and the following stories only serve to cloud the matter further. On October 28th, the day before Larusso's hiring was announced, ESPN obtained court records on his DUI arrest in February. They say Larusso allegedly swerved across multiple lanes of traffic before running his car into a curb, leaving it smoking on the side of a Phoenix-area road. Police officers found him standing next to his SUV. The arresting officer wrote in his report that Larusa asked, quote, "Do you see my ring? I'm a Hall of Famer baseball person. I'm legit. I'm a Hall of Famer, brother. You're trying to embarrass me." The police report describes Larusa as quote, "argumentative." The Washington Post reported that Larusa refused to submit to alcohol tests, prompting the officer to obtain a search warrant for two vials of blood. When ESPN reached Larusa, he said, quote, "I have nothing to say," and hung up the phone. How is that for sincerely taking responsibility for your actions? Not so good, especially when it's not the first time you've been arrested for driving under the influence. At around midnight back on March 22, 2007, LaRusso was found asleep at the wheel of his SUV in the middle of an intersection in Jupiter, Florida, his foot on the brake of a running vehicle that was in gear. Officers approached the vehicle, which was not moving despite having the right-of-way at a green light, and knocked on the window. La Russa did not initially respond. When he did, he told officers he'd had two glasses of wine with friends and had been up since 6 that morning. Officers then performed a field sobriety test.
2: Okay.
3: Okay, Mr. Larissa. at this time, I ask you to turn around and put your hands behind your back for me, okay? Being placed under arrest for the charge of DUI.
0: Larissa gave police two breath samples, and according to Jupiter Police, his blood alcohol level registered 0.093, more than Florida's legal limit of 0.08. This is what a dash cam video in the police car recorded Larissa saying on the ride to the police station. Let
2: me, let me ask you two questions. Yes, sir. The guy on the radio says something about not being cooperative. Is he talking about me?
3: No, 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 that was okay. another call.
2: All right, secondly, there's a difference between being asleep at the wheel and passed out the wheel. Okay. I would challenge passed
0: out. This is particularly bad, as going to sleep behind the wheel would imply he made a conscious decision to take a nap in the middle of an intersection at midnight with his vehicle and drive. However, Larusa did something different 13 years ago than he did in October, or November, or most of December. He directly addressed the incident, telling reporters the day after his arrest, quote, Last night's situation is the opposite of feeling good. It was an embarrassment, so I apologize to anyone who's close to me. Members of the Cardinals organization are fans. I regret it. Take responsibility. And I'm not sure there's anything else I can say, unquote. On the day of his guilty plea, Larusa said, I accept full responsibility for my conduct and assure everyone that I've learned a very valuable lesson, and this will never occur again, But it did happen again, and it appears 13 years later that the valuable lesson Larusa learned is not the one we would expect anyone in this situation to internalize. Shame, embarrassment, a need to address the matter in order to atone in some way. Perhaps get some help. Nope not in 2020. Instead, it seems he's learned, and this is being backed up by those around him, that if you're a member of the old boys club, particularly as an older white man in Donald Trump's America, your actions don't have consequences, as long as you ignore them and never back down an inch in your defiance. Even worse, scored midday host Dan Bernstein says is that despite his own lack of sincerity, LaRusse is still perfectly comfortable judging that of his players.
1: He said it's gonna be up to him. He'll he'll decide if a, an on field celebration is sincere, he'll decide if somebody wanting to protest social injustice is sincere. That that is up to him. He he is he is the arbiter, he is the judge of sincerity. Wonder
0: how that's gonna play now. But the powers that be have decided sincerity is overrated and not worth their time when it comes to themselves and the people they hire. More than a full week after LaRusa's second known DUI was made public, the White Sox had yet to comment publicly. USA Today's Bob Nightingale reported that, quote, a high ranking White Sox official said Larusa is in no danger of losing his job or receiving any discipline by the club, unquote. Nightingale then shared his opinion with NBC Sports Chicago's White Sox Talk podcast on the severity of LaRusse's actions and how they should impact his future employment.
4: With a DUI, i also, also a Hall of Fame manager. So I think there's so many things on his resume that just overshadow an errant judgment. You know, whether he had a, you know, a sip of wine or, you know, a couple of glasses of wine. But hey, there's, there's a lot of worse things that have happened out there besides a, a manager, you know, getting pulled over on suspicion of DUI.
0: This is a bad sports take at its finest, and not just that; it's a terrible societal take as well. A shining exhibit A of systemic inequality. Let's say Larusa were something other than a white man. Could anyone say with a straight face that Larusa wouldn't face some kind of repercussion as a consequence for both the actions that led to his arrest? a second DUI, as well as his public failure to address them. As president-elect Joe Biden would and did say several times during the first presidential debate, Come on, come on, come on, come
4: on, come on,
0: come on, come on, come on. Seriously, though, Larousse is all sorts of lucky. On Monday, his lawyer pleaded down the DUI charge to reckless driving, and with it came one day of home confinement, a $1,400 fine, and 20 hours of community service. John McEnroe, do you think this punishment is appropriate?
3: You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious!
0: That's just him yelling at a Wimbledon chair umpire over what he thought was a blown call on a serve. Can you imagine his actual thoughts on this, shall we call it, indiscretion? Seriously, though, this is how a caller to The Score's Dan Bernstein show summed up the White Sox and LaRusse's straight-up lack of shame and accountability for their actions. To
4: me, this gets to the heart of what the Black Lives Matter movement is trying to point out. An old white man gets pulled over for drunk driving and gets, according to the report, argumentative. And what happens? He gets rewarded, in this case by being hired as the next White Sox manager. Now, if a black man gets pulled over for a DUI and gets argumentative, he could potentially get shot. This behavior should not be rewarded,
0: and in this case it is. For nearly two months, the White Sox didn't force La Russa to publicly address his arrest. It was not until the plea deal became public that LaRussa spoke out about his actions for the first time.
4: I begin by saying that I brought this on myself. I know it. I feel deep remorse and regret over what I did. It's impossible, actually, to explain how daily and deeply this gets at you and has bothered me for a long time. Obviously, I displayed bad judgment that night in February. I am grateful for the White Sox for standing by me, even though this happened before they hired me. I really feel like I let them down and many others, my family, friends. And I think starting out in Chicago, I've let the fans down. I think about fans in Oakland and St. Louis. Many of them became friends. And now starting again in Chicago, it's not the way I learned to to start my relationship the second time
0: around. This apology sounds distressingly like what he told St. Louis reporters the first time this happened back in 2007. If I'm allowed to judge his sincerity, the statement sounds both cavalier and rote at the same time. It's all words and no action.
1: I hope he appreciates how ridiculously entitled he is, how incredibly lucky he is. There's a lot of things it's good to be, and this has all been pointed out in the wake of all of this. You're damn right it's good to be white. It is also good to be rich. It is good to be famous. And it is good to be well-connected. It is good to be well-represented. When your lawyer is the DUI specialist to the stars who has worked with all of these judges before and knows the ins and outs of the system, and when you can afford whatever the retainer is and whatever the hourly is, and you've got very powerful people calling in favors for you, it is good to be so many things. And it is really damn good to be Tony La Russa. I
0: don't know if La Russa truly understands any of that. He certainly isn't acting like it, nor is the man who hired him, White Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf. Instead, it feels as though the hiring and subsequent backing of Larusa is a rebuke to the swagger and charisma that's at the core of the team Ryan's door phones. It's like the back of the hand Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell gave President Barack Obama shortly after his 2009 inauguration.
4: Our top political priority over the next two years should be to deny
1: President Obama a second term.
0: Anderson has kneeled during the national anthem with his teammates at his side, some kneeling and others showing their support with a hand on his shoulder. He's spoken to the fact that he's the only black player on his team in a sport that has seen the percentage of black players at the major league level decrease from 16% in 1994 to just 8% in 2019. Like many of his teammates, Anderson wears his heart on his sleeve on field, unapologetically flipping his bat to celebrate home runs, and publicly backing up players whom others, like LaRusso, would have cues of breaking baseball's antiquated unwritten rules. In August, San Diego's Fernando Tatis Jr. hit a grand slam on a 3-0 pitch with his team leading by seven runs. Asked about this, Anderson told the Chicago Tribune, There's no need to apologize. You hit a home run. He hit a grand slam. What are you apologizing for? But it's that same attitude that bothers baseball's gatekeepers, of which LaRusso is one, judging by his comments to the Washington Post on the same incident. It's just not sportsmanlike. The way it was described to me, it's team against team. That's what our sport is, with these very talented individuals matching up. What it isn't, though, is an exhibition of your talents, unquote. This is utterly ridiculous. Team sports is exactly an exhibition of your talents. Sure, it's supposed to be within the framework of trying to help your team win. But if you don't exhibit your talents, no team will ever draft you and no fan will ever lay down good money to see you play. It's also possible for a team to overcome a seven-run deficit in the ninth inning. Just saying, it's been done before. To paraphrase an overused sports cliche, if you don't want the other team to score, play better defense, or in this case, throw a better 3-0 pitch. But self-expression, youthful exuberance, and fun should take a back seat behind some possibly hurt feelings. Give me a break. Also, take note of the fact that these garbage accusations about breaking baseball's unwritten rules are most often directed at minority players like Fernando Tatis Jr. and Tim Anderson. And leveled mainly by the white overseers of proper baseball decorum, like Tony LaRusso. Little more than two months later, LaRusso was telling reporters that his views on race and racial inequality have evolved. I hope they have, but I must say I doubt his sincerity. In his first public statement about his February arrest, LaRusso repeated nearly verbatim the apology he gave after his first DUI arrest and followed it up. With this,
4: I know I don't have a drinking problem, just like I know I made a serious mistake in February. And where I am right now is to prove that uh, I don't have a drinking problem and to prove it every day off the field that I'm going to handle it. And what's painfully clear to me is. If I have a drink, I will
0: not drive. This was his second DUI, and he gives us the same apology and explanation from his first. And despite completing a 20-hour alcohol counseling program, he said publicly that not only does he not have a drinking problem, he will continue to drink. If his thinking on his own alcohol consumption hasn't evolved in 13 years, why should I trust that his views on race have come so far in such a short period of time? This is the man who will be judging the sincerity of the Black and Hispanic players he will manage, and he knows he'll be protected by his benefactor, Jerry Reinsdorf. The day the White Sox announced LaRusse's hiring, October 29th, ESPN baseball reporter Jeff Passan reported via Twitter that the hiring was a Reinsdorf decision. Simple as that. Reinsdorf has publicly said his greatest regret as team owner was letting then White Sox GM Ken Harrelson fire LaRusso in 1986. Shortly thereafter, he relieved Harrelson of his general manager duties. It is not one of his great regrets, as six seventy, the scores Matt Spiegel said of Volusia Hire, to not look beyond his own organization when it comes to managerial searches. He
3: gets a chance to write that wrong, and that desire for Jerry Reinsdorf to play with his toy as an owner supersedes the vision of the executive he's put in charge, supersedes the good vibes, babe, of his fan base, which has come. To love this team and love what they represent, that fan base almost to a man feels insulted. Because this is what they've done historically with managers. They went and got Robin Ventura after he was raking an infield in California. And he did like a personality test. Other than that, they knew him from years past. And they gave him that job. Ozzie Guillen was somebody that played for them. And he interviewed. And and they kind of liked how grumpy he was. And and they gave him that job. and, And that worked out for a long time. But Ricky Renteria, he was the bench coach who just happened to be sitting there after Ventura had been there for two years too long. This is how they've chosen managers, not through some well thought out modern process, which is how they've been doing everything else.
0: This is how Hahn explained the White Sox's decision to hire LaRusa during the introductory press conference, followed by Dan Bernstein explaining why he thought Hahn kept using passive verb tenses during the announcement. In the end, Tony was the choice because it's believed that Tony is the best man to help us win championships over the
1: next several years and usher us into what we expect to be a very exciting phase for for White Sox baseball. Oh, that had to be hard. It is believed. The passive voice. (laughs) Tony was the choice. It is believed that. That is, I mean... Boy, that that had
0: to be a rough day for him. Since the hiring was made, Larousse has taken great pains to publicly redefine his relationship with Reinsdorf. Asking, tongue in cheek, he said, how close one could be with someone who fired him in the middle of the 1986 season and quote unquote destroyed his family. That seems laughable when you take into account that approximately three weeks later, LaRusso was managing the Oakland A's. The fact that LaRusso has been a regular in Reinsdorf's owner's box, despite working for other teams, and that the person responsible for firing him has publicly lamented it for more than three decades. Danny Parkins response to LaRusso's dodge on this question.
1: How do you do this again and keep getting the job? And the answer, of course, is the old boys club. That's what this is. And that's why I can't give the White Sox the benefit of calling them a good organization anymore. You don't do this if you're run
0: well, period. Old, check. White, check. Buddies with the man in charge is also an old white man. Check, 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 and check. And that, no pun intended, trumps everything that's so very wrong about this hire. The owner bigfooted his team's general manager and quite possibly his executive vice president as well, and damaged morale within the team's front office as well as his reputation around the league. He has rebuked his star player by hiring someone whose political views on field and off are the polar opposite, and handed the keys to a manager who believes he has the privilege to judge the sincerity of his player's actions on field and off, but has shown no sincerity and little accountability for his most recent DUI arrest. The day of Larusso's hiring, not a single member of the White Sox commented about it on social media. More than a week after Larusso was introduced as his manager and before Larusso had yet to contact him, this is what Tim Anderson told reporters about the hire. Quote, "I won't change my style, the way I play for Tony. That won't happen. I will continue to be me. I always have and always will be. We'll see what happens, I guess. If I do do a bad flip." There's been a lot of news saying that we might not get along. Hopefully, we can get along and continue to do what the ultimate goal is, to try to win a championship on the South Side. I'm just ready to pick his brain and learn the knowledge. Just try to have fun with it, if he allows that. I'm going to ask him, how much have you been reading? You know, a lot of people have been saying we're not going to get along. So I'm going to ask him, why do you think that? End quote. Why, indeed. It's not as though LaRusso has tried to fill in the blanks. Rather, it seems he's gone out of his way not to. And that's because Jerry Reinsdorf has empowered his pal to not take accountability for his own actions, while at the same time standing as judge and jury to hold others accountable to his hypocritical standards of sincerity, both on and off the field. And this coming from someone who doubts the sincerity of Colin Kaepernick and pushes back when one of just 69 black players out of 750 major leaguers in 2016 calls baseball, quote, a white man's sport, Reinsdorf siphoned off the goodwill his 2020 squad built with his fan base by hiring someone who stands as a human rebuke to everything that's made the White Sox relevant, likable, and competitive. Despite everything that could have been done to avoid this situation, it seems the 2021 White Sox will serve as an experiment in miniature as to how the United States will transition into a post-Trump era. My advice here? Break out some cold drinks and get some popcorn popping. Previews indicate the 2021 White Sox season should be quite a show. This episode of Wrecking the Toy Department was written, voiced, edited, and produced by me, Jake Williams. My thanks to Kevin McLeod for the following musical compositions. I Can Feel It Coming, The Complex, Unity, Fearless First, and Division. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend and leave a review and rating on iTunes. Thank you very much for listening.